Hello and welcome once again to Let's Talk Catholic. This week we present part two of Father Scott's conversation with Thomas and Larry LaCrosse about Michigan's Proposal 3. Well, the, the interesting thing about this is that, you know, you would in normal, in normal medicine and normal health care, um, our license and our facilities are regulated by, you know, the licensing board um, and acceptable standards of practice and standards of care and things like that. And often professional um, bodies on top of that right. as well. Yeah. So there, there's right. all these layers of, of um, uh, appropriate regulation that helps to shape what we have the ability to do. Um, it's really unclear um, what, how that would exist in this, with this amendment because it, it really restricts the state to very, very little in terms of regulation. And the, the, they, they do have a section on defining what compelling state interest means. Yeah, I was just And they that. say, yeah, it's yeah. For, the, for the limited purpose of protecting the health of an individual seeking care, consistent with accepted clinical standards of practice in evidence-based medicine, um, but doesn't infringe, infringe on that individual's autonomous decision-making. Yeah. Um, the, in, in other areas of licensing, there's, there's a balance between how much you regulate and, and how much you, you allow the profession to regulate itself. And so that's where um, in, in the licensing rules, there is some, uh, you know, standards on what different types of, uh, you know, organizations can do. So like our, our agency is regulated as a substance use treatment agency, and there's a list of standards that we have to meet in order to do that well. Um, and then we have evidence-based practices um, that are consistent with the field. This is saying that essentially everything is deferred to um, clinical standards. The thing about clinical standards in evidence-based medicine is that it's always changing. Oh, yeah. We all lived under that in COVID. Right. Um, yeah. Looking at this <clears throat> definition, too, uh, of compelling state interest, the focus is just on the individual seeking care. Mm-hmm. You know, it has nothing, nothing to do with uh, the, the, the baby in the womb, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and so the compelling state interest, maybe you have a, a very um, pro-life governor and a pro-life legislature and even pro-life courts, you know, uh, who knows, you know? A hundred percent of all those folks are pro-life. Under this language, they can't even consider they mm-hmm. can't even consider right. the baby. the The Constitution sh- says the only compelling state interest right. uh, is the individual right. who is, wants the abortion. So, is this right. a, decla- a, a, a an enshrining and an amendment of the non personhood of the child? It is basically right. it is right up until they are out of the mother's womb. Right. So um, not even partially. Yes, I was going to say not even womb. partially. Not yeah. not. They have to be completely out of the of uh-huh. the, the womb. And and uh, again, you look at you look at uh, what Larry said. Clinical standards of practice that change all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you might get a, a situation where uh, a child is completely born, but clinical standards might somehow mm-hmm. define that as uh, a baby that's or or, or someone that yeah. right, could be. So I don't think. In, uh, before we move on to I want to start mm-hmm. asking Larry about the unspoken horrors that can't happen to women and healthcare professionals after abortions and how they're all vic- they're, they're victims to a great extent as well. Um, personhood under law. So can law say what a person is? 
Well, they can they can say yeah they they can uh, identify an individual who's entitled to protection, you know, and due process of law. Okay, which is what they are saying there. What you just read out only they're not looking at both sides of who are the, are the two persons involved here. No, no, according to this, no. Right. So don't really want to go down the, the, the whole kind of floodgate thing, but I think it's important we, we talk about this. In your estimation, as someone who has spent a chunk of your career interpreting laws, mm -hmm. right, and having to put them into concrete practice, how much of this is a danger to the elderly and the handicapped mm -hmm. when the state is declaring what a person is, and by default, what a person is not. I think uh, when when I look at this proposed language, I uh, what what comes to mind is the the term slippery slope. Okay, and so we would like to say that oh, this just involves abortion, but it uh, involves all levels of vulnerability. You know, a person is is vulnerable for for many many reasons, from and and we have to look at the individual from womb to tomb, right? Yeah. And uh, they have vulnerability on so many levels, including children. Children are, are even post birth children, absolutely and completely dependent on on parents or caregivers, mm. food, you know, warmth. Uh, things to to survive, you know, and those are very very vulnerable. And then we go on from there. The mentally ill, the you know, the developmentally disabled, um, all kinds of the elderly who are under some kind of incapacity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so the language here uh, really invites us to look at all levels of vulnerability, and can we eliminate? You know, maybe this invites, this language would invite us to re-look at assisted suicide, you know, and, and uh, that, that whole notion. We stand, this language invites an individual to, to uh, uh, re revisit the conversation that happened between God and Adam and Eve. And and God said basically and clearly, have at everything in the garden except the tree of life. Okay, that's what this does. This invites Adam and Eve, us, to take the fruit from the tree of life, contrary to what God said. That's what this language does, and it talks in here about individual, individual, individual. You know, I I do think um, very dangerous. Obviously, because this is a Catholic, Catholic radio uh, station and this is a Catholic program and the show is called Let's Talk Catholic. Um, one of the things that is the, the sign of the demonic, I remember you, you and I talked about this in mm -hmm. some other radio program, um, is com deliberate confusion and obfuscation. What's that word? Yeah. Um, um, that, that when you have things that are, that are not, there's no, la there's no, when there's no clarity, mm -hmm. it's demonic, because God's very clear, right? And God has made us with the desire to have a clarity, 
not for us to be duplicitous and these things. Um, so I hope that people who listen to this don't just discount what what you've just said because it's a very Catholic thing to say. Because mm-hmm. um, even if people are, are not practicing Catholics and they're listening to this, the, that shows how fearful this is. So before we move on to um, the parental aspect of this, and you kind of touched upon it there, Judge, about mm-hmm. how, how children are vulnerable and there are vulnerable adults and things like that. Um, before we get into that, one of one of the, the, the things that I'd, I'd like to um, have Larry put in, and of course uh, Judge can as well, is um, by reading this, mm-hmm. there was a few things that struck me. Um, some of your clients that you've had over the years, the reason why their, their lives are in the state they're in is because of traumas that have mm-hmm. happened to them. Absolutely. And no small trauma is, of course, either um, their parents telling them they didn't want them mm-hmm. or them getting uh, what you beautifully called an uh, unintended pregnancy, but some people call an unwanted pregnancy mm-hmm. and then them thinking they're trapped and there's only one action they have. So I'd like you to talk a bit about victimhood of people who have been victimised like that but also the people who do these procedures so we mentioned Kermit Gosnell who's a mm-hmm. doctor um, suicide rates are higher in nurses who are involved in these things drug and alcohol abuse, family breakups are all involved in all of these things. Um, in this world that we're living in just now, and the, the everybody you meet in your professional life is traumatised in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. So can you kind of speak to, to that and if you've had experience of Rachel's Vineyard, um, you, you know what that is, of course. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And maybe touching upon upon that. And I, at this point in the radio, I'd like to give a particular shout-out to Father Don Guyman, mm-hmm. who's been the chaplain of Rachel's Vineyard in the diocese uh, for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And so um, if somebody's hurting and they, they need help, he's a, a, a great man, would have been a great man, great priest to reach out to and, and to, to seek help, as, of course, any priest should be. But... Um, Trauma, victimhood, how this is, there's no winners in this. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I... Um, oh, and so, sorry, and if you get a chance, how this legislation might impact people in your profession's ability to help mm-hmm. people or get funding to help people. Right. So, you know, as, as we were talking about personhood, um, I think this kind of connects into the roots of trauma for so many people. Um, I think when we really examine personhood, it's important to remember that our faith gives us the why, but we don't need to we don't need to rely on faith for the what. And and it's an important point because um, if we if we are uh, describing personhood solely in religious terms, um, there's there's a lot of people who are not going to accept that. Um, and personhood can be very simply viewed. In, in just term in just uh, the, the point of rational thinking um, and it's important that we say that because you don't need to have faith to know what a person is we know what a person is because we can see one um, and the idea 
very simply, science tells us what a human being is. You know, it's a, it's a genetically unique organism of the human species. And we know that those characteristics are met um, when a human being is conceived and an embryo develops, and it's genetically unique, and it's, um, it is a, uh, it's an organism, and it begins to develop on its own. That's the beginning of human development. And we know, I mean, every other area of science and medicine um, looks at the development of the human lifespan um, from that beginning. So we look, uh, I mean, even when you talk about trauma, um, a correct understanding of trauma takes into account everything that happens before birth. Um, so, so in utero exposure to trauma is something that's well-researched, whether it's direct through substance use sometimes or even indirect through the trauma that a mother might be exposed to has a direct hormonal impact on a developing child. So in all other areas, we know, uh, I mean, at face value, that a human being is developing. Um, it's rationally very easy for us to show that if it's a human being, um, our, our whole belief is that a human being should have rights. That's why we're calling them human rights. That's the, the, the basic definition of personhood. And that, that gets us at, at the reality, I think, of trauma. So I want to give this example because I think it's, it's helpful to know. Um, some of the work that I do is with um, the first responder community. And uh, I do uh, some work counseling with, you know, um, firefighters, uh, paramedics, and folks who deal with a lot of trauma. And I was giving some talks and had some discussion with some, uh, some local firefighters and paramedics about um, exposure to trauma and how that can lead to vicarious trauma and post-traumatic stress. And I asked this question to a number of different groups. What's the most difficult call? What's the most traumatic call? And number one always is a call that involves a child. Sure. Um, and that's wired into us. It's part of our nature to be protective of children. And so it's, it's, it, it kind of cuts through even that protective, um, that protective armor that, uh, you know, good first responders have to when, when there's a child involved. And we're, we're just uh, naturally um, oriented toward protection. So one of the most defining characteristics of trauma is, um, you know, what, what makes something traumatic versus something not? And this is some discussion I had with, yeah. you know, folks who respond to this a lot. Um, one of the biggest predictors of a trauma uh, that's going to impact me is something that carries moral injury. And moral injury is a concept that was de um, really developed through research with uh, combat veterans. It wasn't just about being exposed to, you know, being under fire or seeing things that were bad. It's the moral component that truly drives so much of what um, people experience as a trauma response. It's when I know that something happened that was wrong. Either I witnessed it, it happened to me, or I participated in it. And if you accept and understand on a basic human level that we know what a person is, um, the destruction of a person, the ending of a person's life, when that person is a child, has the biggest... Um, traumatic charge, so to speak. And, and we know this is true when um, families, um, women and men, uh, suffer a tragedy of a miscarriage. You know, that's, it's generally known and accepted that there's um, grief associated with that. Um, there's maybe some level of depression. There's a response and there's a reaction to that. Um, it's difficult. And the medical community um, oftentimes doesn't recognize that adequately. 
But when they do, they do a pretty good job helping people to recover from that. Um, and that's something we should do. Um, it's something we do need to pay attention to because there's a it's it's almost an unspoken or unseen trauma. So how can we say that this is an area where we need good supportive care for families who've been through miscarriage um, and then not say that the same thing isn't also true uh, when they've been through an abortion? Um, and, and that's the reality I think that we see um, definitely anecdotally, but in a lot of the evidence that's been produced um, especially in the past 20 years around this issue. And knowing that um, the, you, 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 you ex- experience not just the event, not just the tragedy, but also the moral component of it. And if... Uh, but what about people who say, but I didn't want it? There's, because you know, a miscarriage... Right, is wanted, wanted versus unwanted. Unwanted. Right. Right. And that's, you know, we can say that, people can say that, but the what, what comes with that is what we call cognitive dissonance. Yes. That there's a tremendous gap between what I say and what I feel. Yeah, so when we see people on TV, often it's celebrities, and mm-hmm. they say, I've had an abortion and it was, a, it was an act of charity, an act of love, because you shouldn't bring children into this world the way the world is. Mm-hmm. That is a glaring, every time I see that or read that, I think, that poor soul, I hope they get help. Well, I, you know, I, individuals, we don't know where they're at or what they're thinking about, but whenever I hear somebody... Well, unless you're a sociopath, of course. Right, and there are some, yeah. but I would suspect that most people are not. And yeah. um, when you hear the uh, what a sociopath would say about their behavior is they would just simply say, I did it and I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, most of us, when we do something that's difficult, that's emotionally charged, and that's um, maybe morally weighing on us, we spend a lot of time rationalizing and justifying it. And I think that's a lot of what we hear sometimes in the media is, is a lot of that rationalization and justification. Um, in my experience, again, anecdotally, um, these are the unspoken traumas that are hidden, especially in the lives of women. And um, you spoke about Rachel's Vineyard. Uh, we had a staff member who um, supported that ministry for a long time. And it's a wonderful ministry because it allows some of those hidden traumas to, uh, to come out into, into the open. And um, Actually, we probably should say what Rachel's Vineyard is. Yeah. We? Rachel's Vineyard is a, a wonderful ministry um, for women who've experienced abortion in their lives to have healing. And the fact and men as well now, I think. Yes, I think I, within the last uh, ten or so years, Rachel's Vineyard has been encouraging men to come forward right. to to be helped as well. Right, and I think a big part of the the recovery from that trauma is is really piecing together the whole picture and knowing that um, what in so many cases what's happened is not the free choice that Proposal 3 is talking about. What's happened is um, a woman who feels pressure to, um, to terminate her pregnancy, to have an abortion, because of circumstances, uh, maybe because of uh, pressure from boyfriend or family or husband or other people in her life. Um, that scenario repeats over and over and over again. Um, and that, again, compounds the trauma that many experience. What um, about... Well, you're on that point. Mm-hmm. What a, so, what you just described, generally speaking, because it's how we used to always talk about it—that the pressure is is in some ways personalized. Right. You know, it's 
I am pressurising myself because of my career, or my boyfriend is, or my parents are saying this to me, or my friends saying this to me. But we're about to enter into a different world mm-hmm. where anonymous organisations mm-hmm. like schools, right, without counselling, right, can take that. Whereas it would seem to me, obviously it's your field, but it would seem to me that if I've been pressurised into something by an A individual, mm-hmm. although I gave in, there was a focus. Right. Uh, he he made me do this. Right. And and sometimes people can bring a level of healing of sorts to their minds when they, they can identify the bogeyman. Mm-hmm. What if the bogeyman is a faceless organisation, right. like your school system? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, this is... It's it's institutions, and it's also pushing toward a social norm. Yes, and and when in the pressure of social, which means norms, that you're not allowed to be traumatized. Right, right. Is that this is just what everybody does, and uh, and I'm going along with that too. But but the reality under that circumstance is they are. Yes, right. They can't in fact, in fact, in fact uh, I would suggest that in places where that happens, you're even more traumatized by the fact that you can't address the trauma. Right, right. I think yeah. there, there's a there's a really nice um, allegory of this, um, and it's a book called The Giver, um, which which is Parish, a, some parishioners have mentioned yes. that to me, and it, it it's a wonderful way to understand this because um, it's a it's a dystopia, it's a dystopian novel that doesn't seem dystopian, and um, what this young man discovers in this book, um, which all of us read in school at some point, um, is that there were horrible things happening in his community that people he loved, including his parents, were participating in this, including infanticide. Um, but it was all just a part of the social uh, construct and control of creating the ideal society. And the, the, the book is about his experience of seeing this for the first time and being shown it um, in reality, being shown what was really happening. Which is why, of course, um, we're making these programs, these right. radio programs. We are trying and hoping that people who might have voted for abortion-orientated politicians in the past, realize that uh, this is not the return of Roe versus Wade. Right. This is something that is is a is, is as I used over the weekend is damnable, mm-hmm. and it's going to cause many more victims. Right. And I think that's exactly right, because um, you know we would we would advocate, of course, as Catholics for a robust protection of children from conception and people all the way till natural death. But even if you look at, you know, um, a middle-of-the-road position, um, so many of the laws that are on the books um, really are about protecting women, especially young women and especially minors. And it's protection of, um, against, you know, uh, you know, bad health care, first of all, but also protection against coercion. And, you know, I think about the judicial process right now of maybe protection against a decision that will be very, very harmful um, without due consideration and informed consent. Um, So this has the potential, Proposal 3 has the potential to remove so much of the infrastructure or all of the infrastructure in protecting women um, from coercion, from uh, deception, from bad care. Um, from lack of informed consent, and from the pressure that might lead them to be traumatized. And how will how will it impact people like yourselves' ability to help people heal from trauma if this kind of thing passes and becomes an amendment? 
Well, I would wonder about um, and be concerned about, um, does this prevent us from doing the type of um, open and balanced counseling that we do right now about the different options that women have? So if somebody comes to us in, you know, in crisis or any crisis pregnancy center, and we're interested in helping develop alternatives, um, is there some, you know, enterprising, uh, you know, uh, pro-abortion legislature or um, regulator that will take issue with that? Um, You know, will this, will this uh, have any type of, uh, will this give us any type of ability to freely do the type of work that reduces the number of abortions in our state. Um, and I don't know. I think there's a lot in here well, that could think, potentially... Judge, do you think that this this kind sure. of amendment is going to put um, pregnancy centers, um, Catholic Human Services in the crosshairs? I, I think so. I think that uh, at least, and what I would be scared of if I were Larry or a pregnancy center is the drying up of any kind of uh, taxpayer funding mm-hmm. for their counseling. If, if, uh, if they say anything uh, ab- about abortion or anything, no, they're ineligible for any, any kind of taxpayer funding. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. What if post-abortion, Rachel Vidyard-type person comes in wanting to, I don't know what's, what's, why I'm so sad or depressed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in exploring that, they identify, the counselor identify, helps them identify that it was your abortion mm-hmm. that causes all this. Can they treat that? Can they go there? I will, I will mention one thing um, that is, it's fair to say, that the, the work that we do for, uh, for pregnant women who are you know, in crisis um, that is something that's entirely funded through the generosity of CSA. And so it's important to know that that is work that's supported um, directly through the Diocese of Gaylord. So we don't have to accept or use any um, Unless state funding legislation for that is passed that says you cannot do it. Right, that would well, be my fear. Let, let's say, Larry, you get, you get somebody in here initially, the mm-hmm. presenting issue is your addiction. <coughs> and, and they come in with uh, addiction, uh, some court orders them, into counseling, and through that, they're addicted and use because of their covering their their trauma from their abortion, and you can't go there. You can't. You can't there's address a, there's that. There's yeah, a lot you're told of not unknown. to speak to people about it. Right. There's a lot of unknown, but there there's yeah. so much in here. I think that is very restrictive of um, of what can happen. And it's vagueness. That's the thing. It's right. restrictive and it's vagueness. Before we carry on with the sort of signs of trauma for for people. Um, when you were doing family court, Judge, um, these very things that, that Larry talked about, about um, and you mentioned it there, about set a judge sending somebody for counselling and things like that, or, or underage people. So before Proposal 3, where we are just now, a school had to do something about actually helping someone, didn't they? Not just take them and have to kill the baby. Mm-hmm. So the school would refer them to family court, perhaps? Well, often. Well, the presenting problem would be some kind of delinquency. Right. You know, uh, or if they were abused or neglected or whatever. And they would refer them uh, through the prosecutor's office, well, to law enforcement, then the prosecutor's office, and then the courts would respond. Okay. You know, and oftentimes uh, we'd get a child who's adjudicated, post-adjudication, uh, we would identify the presenting problem might be their their alcohol use, uh, their drug abuse, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, 
uh, acting out in school. And, and we would appropriately send them uh, to some level of counseling. And again, the presenting problem is one thing, but the underlying reason for their dysfunction might be something drastically so different. So if an underage girl mm-hmm. was pregnant, though, that was all expedited, wasn't it? That was had, because of time, mm-hmm. that had to be done quicker. Mm-hmm. And you did have to have deal with cases of, of children mm-hmm. who were pregnant, regardless mm-hmm. of whether it was through a boyfriend or it was abuse and things like that. Mm-hmm. You you were pres- you were having to deal with cases mm-hmm. that there's a there's a time pressure, mm-hmm. and whereas under the present, the, uh, sorry, if this goes through, mm-hmm. you wouldn't see them because their school or their even the God forbid their church yeah. could take them off to have mm-hmm. a termination without telling their parents. Right. But you had you've had you had cases where because of the present safeguards and the presentation to the court mm-hmm. that lives lives were actually instead of being destroyed yeah. Yeah. lives were not just saved but lives were given a purpose yeah yeah I, I think so um, I think uh, you know I, I think I can speak for uh, judges in in um, uh, the state of Michigan and there were a, a lot of circumstances where uh, individual um, girls, uh, who were pregnant uh, um, and and unplanned pregnancy, right? Uh, uh, they would they would think that abortion was their primary option, and they would analyze. I cannot get parental consent consent for whatever reason, so their only alternative is to go to court. Okay, uh, and and so they would go to court, uh, and and the the judge would follow process of making sure they had an attorney uh, and and it would give them every opportunity uh, that uh, the, the law uh, indicates to protect them uh, in their decision making, uh, including uh, counseling. But the, the point I'm making is an adult uh, had, was involved in their in, in decision making. Yes. You know, through the law, that would be all eliminated. Through Proposal Through 3. Proposal yeah. 3. So Through those, proposal those three, checks and balances yeah. that exist at the present would, moment would disappear. Yeah, you would remove mm-hmm. adult decision-making from from that child. And, and so the child could decide for themselves. Now, what we haven't spoken about is the nature, the brain uh, of the brain, okay? Mm. And, and the, the nature of a uh, person's brain development and impulsivity, mm-hmm. and we have, I, you can speak to this better, Larry, but, you know, we, we look at brain development, and, and decision-making is, is for, for somebody about 25 or under, mm-hmm. is, is impulsive, not contemplative. It's but that's why out. the state needs to make decisions? Absolutely. <laughs> the, state, yeah. the state has a right. That's why the state has the to state, make decisions, yeah. because even though you're allowed to vote... You need me to control you. Well, we have to be careful as we analyze because um, the, the child cannot be looked at as chattel, right? No. Cannot no. be looked at no. as the property of the parents. There's other people that, that are involved. I have, as a judge, when I was a judge, I represented the people of the state of Michigan. Mm. And they have a right to be involved and to care about and to love that individual child. Because their parents may not love them, may not care for them. And so somebody has to. Somebody has to care for them. And so the state 
in that case, just curious it's though wonderful. that if um, so, you're 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 retired. Yeah. It, it was an elected uh, position. Yeah. Um, if this was passed and you were still on the bench, mm-hmm. would you need to have get have given very serious thought to stepping away? Mm, no, I don't think so. No. I think that there, there, there's not, not totally as a judge. Uh, there are many, many opportunities, many things I can do under the under the laws of the state of Michigan that this doesn't impact on as yet, a judge. Yet. Okay. Now, um, there are there's opportunity for a sitting judge to say on this particular case I cannot sit. Okay. Right. Uh, uh, on this particular case, I have strong feelings. I I I would not be. Uh, an appropriate uh, judge in this particular case, and that's okay. So if this if this passed, this wouldn't this wouldn't uh, um, uh, suggest to me that oh you must retire now. No, okay. can Although you wouldn't see many of the cases, you just wouldn't see many. You just wouldn't see them because yeah, yeah. they wouldn't be coming to court. No, right. no. Yeah. I want to go back to something because I think it's really important that we emphasize this um, that um, the role of uh, parental consent, yes. I think, is is the most to me. Yeah, the so most let's move on to, but just before we yeah. move on to parental consent, I just wanted you to to talk a little bit about trauma. Um, mm-hmm. So you you covered very well, I would say, the the trauma of of women who go through this. Just touch upon trauma of of professionals mm-hmm. who do. You actually you you, you kind of gave a a lead into it with. Military people with PTSD and things like that mm-hmm. that that are not always to do with um, the the actions actually happening to them. Sometimes it's got to do with things that they are doing mm-hmm. because the things are inherently morally uh, either vague or bad. Right. So. Well, I think it's it's really it's really easy to see this in a couple different ways. Um, so, uh, I'm, you know, in my work with first responders, I do that because I'm a firefighter EMT myself and in EMT training, um, all the, the training that we get in obstetrics is that when we arrive on scene, we're treating two patients. You know, we have uh, a pregnant mother and we have that child and we're responsible for both patients. So you don't ask the woman first, do you want to, do you want this No, child? that's not our, that's not our role. We're no. treating two patients. Um, and if you look at the whole, you know, I've ha- I have kids, so I've experienced the process of working with a good OB doctor, um, working with ultrasound techs, the people who are involved with that. They're very interested in your baby. You know, it's it's they. I, I think they just take a lot of joy in helping parents see those ultrasound pictures, see you know the baby that you're having. I remember with our our first child, Claire. Um, you know, getting this nice little picture of this tiny, tiny, uh, you know, person at five weeks gestation and the ultrasound tech wrote, you know, I'm here, I'm a baby, you know, and, and just that, that human connection is comes so naturally. Contrast that with people who are working in the abortion industry. And I'll point to the simple fact that so many of them leave. Um, and we see stories over and over again, and you can read this in the pro-life literature of so many who've left that industry um, uh, traumatized, um, uh, morally scarred, and seeking help and healing for that. Mm-hmm. And so ironically, and maybe providentially, um, many of the, the strongest pro-life leaders today used to work in the industry mm-hmm. and, and, and had that change of heart. 
Um, because it's it's natural for us as human beings to care. And they're the ones that see the child. You can only go so long <clears throat> with denying that there's human beings being killed. Right. You? As, as anybody who's either read or seen unplanned. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Abby Johnson was able to convince herself mm-hmm. until it was right there mm-hmm. in front of her. And the same thing with Dr. Nathan... So Nathan Richardson, the one who made them film Silent Scream, mm. who was a, who was mm-hmm. a leading light in the abortion industry, a lot of the techniques and things like that, until he witnessed there was a procedure he was doing, and it was the first time I think it was an ultrasound, and the child moved back mm-hmm. from the and that and he collapsed in the the OR, mm-hmm. and he never did another one, and it was because he was, he, it just suddenly dawned on him, right, what was happening, yeah. And that's that's the that's the, the the tangible reality when we when we see things, yeah. Um, and and we we have that natural humanity. Um, it was kind of you know, Dad, you'll remember this quote, but mm-hmm. it's it's the 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 same basic standard of the Supreme Court decision about pornography. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to define. I mm-hmm. I can't I can't say what it is, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. And and I, I think, think that it, was Justice Blackman. Yeah, uh, but you know it's kind of a humorous quote, but it's mm-hmm. it's I think a similar guide that when when you have to spend hours of discussion and semantics to explain why something is not a human being or not a person, mm-hmm. it means that you're up against we can we know it when we see it, and I think and, that's and, true but, for and, most reasonable and actually, people. Actually, you, you very correctly corrected yourself there. We need to make sure in discussions we're having with people that we're clear on we're talking about persons, right? Because um, some politicians will say, well, it might be a human being, but it's not a person. Right. Which is a, a, what's implied in that is a very, very dangerous oh, idea. It's, it's very dangerous because, as I was saying to the parishioners over the weekend, the Japanese word for foreigner is gaiji, which means subhuman. Mm-hmm. And they're not the only ones who did that. But you look at how if you, that, that um, book, um, Medicine and the Swastika, mm-hmm. and how... Um, the it was judges, no offence, judge, but it was mm-hmm. judges and doctors who gave a veil of a veneer right. of um, legitimacy to the killing of the handicapped, right. then the Slavs, then the dehumanising, and the whole biometrics thing was all mm-hmm. about. And of course, we know that the organisation that was leading that in the states mm-hmm. was called the Eugenics Society of America, mm-hmm. who became, who are Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. right. and. Um, rotten to the core, mm-hmm. and still telling lies to people. Mm-hmm. But let's move on um, to the the other part. So we need to make, we want to make clear to people that Proposal 3 is not just an abortion thing, because mm-hmm. it's not just about, as, they are, as, as some people are saying in adverts, it's about bringing back Roe versus Wade. It's not just an abortion thing. The reason why we've spent so much time talking about abortion is because it is a heinous crime, Mm-hmm. And we had to set some ground rules of what is a person and our duty to people as persons. Um, so the judge said, very correctly, a few minutes ago, small people, small persons, we call them children, need protecting. And normally in society, the way we do that is by parents having voices in this. Now, we have seen unfold, um, sadly, we, we, we all know, we've had some 
very unpleasant things that happened under COVID that were nothing to do with good health care. There was agendas, uh, and one of the things was, in certain places, the atrocious maltreatment of children mm -hmm. and the, uh, the disempowering of parents to make decisions. But one of the other things that we saw often was that people weren't able to hold the hands of their loved ones as their loved ones were dying. Mm -hmm. And that should have been left to people to decide. And we saw all over the Western world, elderly people in particular, almost being corralled to die, being declared non-persons, really. Without people saying they weren't pers persons, they were often being treated as if they weren't persons mm -hmm. and they didn't have commu communication and um, a connection to human our fellow humanity. So, Proposal 3, it doesn't talk about the, how the treatment the elderly people might end, end up getting, but as Judge, I would say correctly, said slippery slope. I know Socrates hated the term slippery slope, but sometimes you've got to call it as you see it. Mm -hmm. But what it does um, allude to in its vagueness is there are no ages mentioned anywhere about... Right. Um, about procedures and things like that, which means that basically from being fully born, as you very correctly said, mm -hmm. right, because they don't like, um, you're not a person until you're completely out of the womb. Mm -hmm. So from fully born, there are groups that can, can make decisions about you without telling your parents. Mm -hmm. So brand new child has some kind of congenital abnormality, Hospitals will be able to make decisions on whether or not they're viable. Mm -hmm. Don't need to discuss it. They can, they can make those decisions and then it gets worse. Mm -hmm. Actually, and it's hard to say. It's hard, it's hard to believe I'm saying that, but it gets mm -hmm. worse now. So, you're both dads. One of you's got grown-up kids, but 13 grandchildren who are children. You've got three children who are children. Um, tell the listeners as parents and as grandparents how frightened they should be of what's going on here and how this is not alarmist because this is the kind of thing that does happen so well this you know I think this goes back to some of the discussion we were having about the the role that the state is taking and um there, there's a couple of things to, to kind of understand, I think, the underpinnings of this. And, Dad, you'll remember, um, maybe uh, 15 years ago now, um, there was a, a, a major controversy in Michigan about the child welfare system. And the child welfare system was um, set up for good purpose, that the state would step in and intervene if there was child abuse or neglect. But it was weighted toward... Um, that the, the state having that interest in protecting children without a consideration of uh, the rights of parents. And what, what was a result of that is really bad outcomes for children in the foster care system. And as a result of that, um, there was a, a major case and um, there was uh, you know, a process where the court uh, provided oversight to the Department of Human Services for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And it, the introduction of family reunification as an equal interest mm -hmm. That the court must consider. Right. And um, that that is really, really an important thing to remember because this amendment, by, by pushing the state out in a sense, 
Mm-hmm. Um, put who does it put in the place? Because parents aren't anywhere in here, and the protection of parental consent is not anywhere in Proposal Three, mm-hmm. um, and the state's ability to mandate parental consent is prevented. So who steps in mm-hmm. in the in instead of the parents? And that could be anybody. It could be a healthcare professional. It could be a school counselor. Mm-hmm. It could be any other person without parental consent. With bad intent. With with any intent. Yeah. With, their know, own with any ideology. With their own political right. agenda and right. ideology. And yeah, we see this in Britain. Right. Because we are in Britain's much closer to this than you guys are. But right. yeah. But the in in the child welfare system, there's a recognition that. Parental interests, parental rights, are something that need to be supported. Um, but that's something that's that's missing completely from this amendment. The difference is the child welfare system and all those laws are statutes mm-hmm. and court cases. As a as a constitutional amendment, this has much more staying power. Okay. So it, it by amendment, it, it it in fact, in practical terms, excludes parents completely. From any role mm-hmm. of consent, right. not just with abortion, but anything that touches on reproduction mm-hmm. um, for their child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you think about there's you know discussion of birth control, of sterilization, of all of those things that now parents have no role in consenting to. Okay, what what yeah. uh, I know you're correct in this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and before the judge gives some comments, um, but that kind of thing just wouldn't happen in America. What's your answer to that? Because I see sometimes people saying, when I've been preaching about mm-hmm. this, I talk about it, I see some people, because I've given examples, like mm-hmm. the UK, uh, down to the age of 14, a school can take a child for an abortion without telling the parents. Right. right? And the UK is not a radical country, really, right. mm-hmm. but we are, we are what sociologists would call a nanny state. Right. Right? So in Britain, the state steps in mm-hmm. where parents should be right 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 and it happens quite a lot so we have social workers who are basically bringing up children mm-hmm. because the the parents have no life skills mm-hmm. because they came from families that social services stepped in because you know we've nationalized health and mm-hmm. we've had these systems for for a long time um but people look and they think those kind of things can't happen in the states Mm-hmm. Which is why I give the example about in COVID, people were forcibly moved, elderly people were forcibly moved, sometimes to completely different places, away from their families, because all the COVID victims were to be in the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst example of that, of course, mm-hmm. was Washington, uh, New York. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't only New York it happened in. It happened, it happened in France, it happened in Britain, it happened, mm-hmm. happened in many, many states. Um, now, we're looking back with hindsight, but at the time, we should have all been a lot more aware of um, you should have been allowed, if, God forbid, your father had been dying, like, mm-hmm. you should have been allowed to decide whether or not right. you would take the risk to go in to hold his hand. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have been a case of you were told you can watch him through glass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's when the state steps in mm-hmm. to what should be mm-hmm. um, really are really important fundamental needs of human beings right it, it never ends well right we've seen that in the soviet union we've seen that in north korea as a friend of mine who's a, an acquaintance of mine really as a lawyer said to me if this passes um to a certain extent michigan will be on a par with north korea in I regard think, to um you know rights of parents and right. and reproduction 
natural. Yeah. Early on, you used the word treated, treated. And I think, uh, 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 thinking of the Nazis, and uh, after World War One, uh, so much of the economic uh, turmoil of Germany was blamed on the Jews mm. in the 20s. And yeah, it, yeah. it went, yeah. it took Look for the Look for the bogeyman. So yeah. the, the treatment for economic reasons, for mm. economic pain, was blamed on a, a, a class. And it took years, a few years, but all of a sudden, a people, the German people, mm. were involved in the extermination of a, 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 a class, you know, that were mm. called Jews. And priests, and you know, right. a lot of vulnerable yeah. people, yeah. in the name of economics, mm -hmm. you know, and that motivated that. And this, again, uh, the proposal suggests that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, for economic reasons, for for reasons that are hedonistic, mm -hmm. uh, we we look at a, a, a vulnerable class and say, do we really need them? Or what kind of, what kind of impact are they having on on our economic well-being? Mm. You know. Well, this, this what you're just mm. describing is the philosophy behind the eugenics movement right. of mm -hmm. the 1800s, mm -hmm. when people like um, Mark, uh, Darwin's cousin, I can't oh. remember his name, the one who was the me the, the member of parliament, or was either Proctor or Gamble. These the, these guys started saying. Um, well, it's better if, if those people, mm -hmm. whoever those people were, those mm -hmm. people don't have a couple of children. Mm -hmm. Or you get somebody like Margaret Sanger, who said that the worst kind of people are the people who give to charity. Mm -hmm. Because people who are in that kind, uh, who are poverty, should be allowed to die. Mm -hmm. let's, let's force them into a ghetto. Mm -hmm. Let's pull, and as uh, uh, people don't know this, they should. That's often how Catholics were treated in this country. Mm -hmm. forced into ghettos, mm -hmm. weren't allowed to have their own schools, weren't allowed to hold political office, weren't allowed to own stores. Mm -hmm. And these are all all things, and, and, and it's, it's actually kind of chilling, really, because your conclusions from reading this, Judge, I was reading this the other day, and I thought, and we Catholics are the Jews mm -hmm. to these people. Mm -hmm. I, also yeah. think, I also think it's important to really focus on... Um, you know, who's who's being, uh, in a sense, targeted now? And, you know, you, you talked about the connection between Margaret Sanger and the eugenics movement, which was very, very racist. And I think we we, we really need to understand... And she called colored people mud people. Right. She, there's, there's a whole bunch of things. And Planned Parenthood targets colored people. Well, that's that's the, the thing that I think we need to focus on is that in um, all across the United States, if you look at the basic statistics, you can go to the Guggenmacher Institute, which is a pro-choice organization that tracks these things. And you can, you can see how um, you know, black people, African Americans, people of color are disproportionately um, uh, the ones who are undergoing abortions. And it, it's even much, much higher in urban areas. Yeah, because um, they're made to feel that this is a thing that will get them out of poverty. Well, there's a. I, I think it's important. This is a connection that, that nobody's talking about. There's a form of oppression that's happening here that we need to pay attention to that is very racist. And if you, again, further erode um, the connection between parents and children, the connections uh, between families, um, 
there's so many wonderful initiatives happening, especially in urban areas, to really promote the revitalization of African-American families. Yeah, because they have a higher percentage of absentee fathers, don't they, in the mm-hmm. African-American communities? Well, a lot of... And we know statistically, research has shown that that is a major thing mm-hmm. because, I mean, I know this will be a shock to, to everybody that's listening, but men and women are not the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're, actually, they're actually different. They have different roles right. within family life. So... I know, give people a chance to recover from the yeah, shock right. of, of hearing that statement. Yeah. But you're right. The, the, uh, I hadn't really thought that through, and I'll, I'll be, need to be praying about mm-hmm. that, because I feel you're right, and to, to a great extent, it really is going to be the African-American community of places like Detroit and Grand Rapids and things like that mm-hmm. that are really, really going to be harmed by this. Right. And if you think about removing, again, removing restrictions, removing regulations, um, removing the, the, that uh, parental consent component um, and the ability for, you know, women of any age to, you know, ask a school counselor and to get an abortion. I mean, the impact is, is potentially tremendous on increasing, like you said earlier, Dad, increasing the rates of abortion. Mm-hmm. And we need to pay attention to this because um, there's, there's some uh, structural racism that is a part of this. When you look at the statistics and you see that in some urban areas, mm-hmm. there's actually more black children who die through abortion than are born alive, yeah. which is a, mm-hmm. an incredibly frightening thing. Yeah. Um, because, again, you look at oppression. and Because it's, it's often masked mm-hmm. and being um, anti-racist right. groups that will put these things forward because they're, they're failing their... Well, they have an agenda, of course. But I, I think, unless there's something else we can say, we're getting nearly mm-hmm. to the end of what will turn out to be two programmes. So mm-hmm. is there anything that you guys don't think we've co- covered? I think we've covered a, lo- mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And as we said, mm-hmm. we didn't want to try and get people to drink Niagara Falls through a hosepipe. Mm-hmm. But, I, right. but I think we've covered things, a lot of the basis to which I'm very, very thankful to, to you, Judge, and mm-hmm. by for your input as well, because... Um, I think one of the things I'm trying to do with, with the stuff that I'm doing about Proposal 3 is also to educate people so that if people have ever been ambiguous, mm-hmm. and we talked about that earlier, the ambiguity of, I'll try and find a middle road, because it seems very radical not to allow mm-hmm. abortions. I don't want to be radical, but there's no middle road that doesn't involve killing when it comes to these these issues. Right. And to have them enshrined in an, in an amendment, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you, how long did it take it take um, right-thinking people to to actually be able to over overturn Roe versus Wade, right. which which even back mm-hmm. in the 80s, I'd read most judges thought was bad law. Mm-hmm. But look how long it took, and that wasn't right. an amendment. Right. So right. Uh, uh, we conservatively thinking that if this passed it then would take us probably 10 years to sort out some of the nitty-gritty mm-hmm. and then another 20 years to try and turn the thing to get to get into the thing. Yeah. And and how many people die in that mm-hmm. time? Oh, my. Right. Yeah. And then it be, the thing about that is, as we've found from the, the rather bizarre way that people have reacted to the overturning of Roe versus Wade, people think then it becomes a right Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's been there all my life, yeah, so right. it, it, yeah. it must be. It. it must be. It's yeah, it must be right. okay. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Where they they forget that um, 
as you correctly pointed out, that for the majority of the existence of this of, of this nation, mm-hmm. it was anything but a right, and right. it was considered to be something they shouldn't want unwanted citizens. Right. There shouldn't be unwanted citizens. And I think that us being used to something, it should never be a measure of whether it's right or wrong. No. You know, and, and a good precedent for right. that is that in, may, in, in large areas of the United States, for a significant period of time, um, people became used to segregation. Yeah. Um, and when, mm-hmm. when people were, you know, there, there's some, uh, some really brilliant writing in uh, Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. And he talks about this issue of gradualism because at that time he was more toward the, the beginning of some of his work in the civil rights movement. And a group of white pastors came to him and said, you're being too radical. You're asking people to change too quickly. They're used to this way of life. Ask them to change more gradually. And he talked about gradualism as another form of oppression. Right. I'll need to cut you off there because we're right. getting out of time. But actually, as you were saying that, I was thinking... And although we had talked about how we want people, perhaps I want people to perhaps think about what they were, mm-hmm. what their positions might have been, we're not asking people to change their position on abortion overnight. We're asking people to say no to this, right? And then educate yourself, mm-hmm. right? But don't say yes to this and find right. that you're waking up right. in North Korea, right? That's right. Because this is yeah. the most radical of just about any place in the country. And in compared to even European countries, and putting it in the Constitution makes it much, much more difficult yeah. to change. And and yeah. and uh, the the bishops have identified that. So once again, yeah. thank you very much, Judge, for your time and um, all the work that you've done in the past for for families. And Larry, thank you very much for for your input as as usual. Um, uh, the other programs that I plan to do is I'm, I'm hoping to do one with uh, Rebecca um, Cooper. Cooper. Or, uh, um, what's her married name? Oh, well, she's married um, now. Who's yeah. who works yeah. for Students for Life? <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping to do a program with yeah. Rebecca. I'm hoping also to get an, uh, a, some length of interview with the bishop. So, um, but even if I don't get around to doing those things, um, there's enough meat in the three hours that I've already done with the the hour before and the and the two programs. That I've managed to do with um, with the judge and Larry. There's a lot of things there for you to share. A lot of stuff for people to think on. You don't. You now don't need to read the thing. Although I would advise you to. But if you listen to what we have said, you know that this is that this radio station that we are not telling lies. I want you to share with your neighbours that this has to be stopped. This is not bringing back Roe versus Wade. This is about being sensible about something that is radically and quite frankly bizarre. So, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who Lord art in heaven, God. hallowed Lord be thy Lord. name. Thy Lord. kingdom Lord. come, thy Lord. will be done, Lord. on earth Lord. as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. You can listen again to this or any other episode of Let's Talk Catholic at our blog, Let's Talk Catholic Podcast.blogspot.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or almost any other podcast provider.